0: Hey, good morning. How are you? I was feeling um I was feeling a bit lonely over here by myself and then I was like doing the check to make sure everything was okay and then I just realized people don't like sitting by me. So <laughs> um yeah, you guys left me lonely up here by myself. So if you ever see that happening again, just kind of come fill in around me. It's encouraging. So hey, thanks for um for being here this morning. I hope that you are um, gearing up for the holidays because it's almost here, right? Like I was looking at the calendar and thinking you know, I still had several weeks out from Thanksgiving, and it is literally right around the corner, and then Christmas comes up right after that, so it's, it's pretty crazy how quickly this comes on us. Hey, we have been in um, a series called The Power of Giving, and I just want to recap the last couple of weeks real quick, um, because, because this is really one of those, it's kind of like math. This is one of those where it's, it's compounding on one another, and you need, you need to know what we talked about the last couple of weeks to fully understand what we're talking about today. Um, so just to kind of get you caught up if you weren't here or to remind you if you were here. Repetitiveness is good. That's one thing I learned in kids' ministry. Um, we can't hear it over and over enough. So um, so we're in the power of giving. For week one, we looked at Galatians chapter 6, and we learned um, a really important truth about reaping and sowing. And we learned that what we reap is what we're going to sow. Basically, what we're planting with our life is what we're going to get out of it—that's what we're going to sow out of it. So if we're sowing negativity, um, what we're going to reap is a negative life or a negative outlook. If we're if we're sowing hope and we're sowing, you know, the fruit of the spirit in our life, what we're going to get out of that is we're going to get a spirit-filled life and a life that other people want to be around. We we learn that we reap more than we sow. You know, much like how when you plant an orange seed, you get an entire orange tree out of it with exponentially, you know, number of oranges compared to what you've planted. So we're going to plant more than what we sow. And then lastly, we learned that we're going to reap later than we sow. So, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you've heard the the things about God's timing and it's not necessarily our timing. And well, that's true. I mean, it's true in nature, but it's true in the spirit realm as well. And, you know, a lot of times what we're sowing with our life, what we're we're planting with our life, we might not see that reap right away. It might be months or years or even decades that we see the result of that. And and it's true, you know, I, I was a youth pastor for years and and you know, a lot of the kids that I youth pastored are adults. I mean, um even just this past week, I was I, I ran into a kid that that was in a youth group of mine on on the campus of Southeastern and and we talked for a few minutes, and he's been struggling with some stuff, and we met up with coffee, and it's like I go home and I told Jen, I said, you never stop being their youth pastor. And, and so, you know, what I was sowing out of that was what was reaped years and years ago. And so the same thing is true with our life. Now, it, it, it's true on the positive side, but it's also true on the negative side. Like you might be living this carefree, like careless, very selfish life right now and think there's no consequences, there are consequences that's coming because the truth is, is we reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. So I challenged you with a couple of action steps in week one, and I, the first question that I had you ask yourself or that we had ourselves, you know, that we, I, I, I said for us to ask ourselves is, what am I sowing in my life? Like, what is it that I'm planting with my life? Like, is it negativity that I'm planting? Is it hurt? Is it bitterness? Is it Or is it something good? Am I planting the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Am I planting good things for my my kids and my family and the legacy? But what am I planting with my life? It's a a good question for us to ask ourselves. And then secondly, I said, ask you to ask yourself, where am I primarily spending my money and my time? And, And that's an important question, and it ties directly to that other one because a lot of times what we find is where our money and our time is going, that's a good indicator of what we're planting with our life. And, um, and so those are two very important questions. And then last week we looked at Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, and this was a very important um, time in the people of Israel. They had come back to the Jerusalem after being in exile for 70 years, and, and they were in a pretty poor state in their nation, and things were not going well. They had expected to come back to Jerusalem, receive God's blessings, but they were not. They, was, they were in a pickle and Malachi, speaking the voice of God into them, tells them, hey, you are off base, like totally off base. And one of the ways that you're off base is in your giving. And, and how that ties is, basically, you're not dependent upon God because you're holding on to your money. You're holding on to your resources, and you're not, you're not following how God had instituted them to give into the storehouse, and then there would be no lack, there would be no need, but there was lack, there was need, there was social injustice, there were all kinds of problems, and he said, he said, basically, you're holding your money back, but that ties to a heart issue, and that heart issue is you're not depending on me. What I've learned in our life in, in this time frame, we're not people of Israel, we're not, we haven't come from exile, but what I've learned is you know, where we're, the things we're sowing with our life and where we're spending our time and our money, if you tie that to what we're doing with our money, if, we're, if we have you know, hands that allow that money to flow through it and allow those resources to flow through it we find that we fully more depend upon God. And then things like work out better. We begin to see God's blessings. And and we learn two things from that, that God created a system to help us. This system helps us to depend upon him. And this is the tithe and offering system. We looked at it as not so much a commandment that God imposes upon us to say you have to do this, but he says, look, if you want to depend on me, there's a system that I've created that will help you do that. And that's giving a tithe. Tithe just means 10%. So 100% of what we bring in, he says, hey, give 10% that back to the church. And I would say that's your local church. If you choose to call this home, I would say this is your local home. This would be like a storehouse of sorts. And, and when you do, the church doesn't lack. When you do, the church has the resources that it needs to do the things that God's called it to do. And we're not trying to nickel and dime stuff. It's like, Okay, if there's a need that comes up, if everyone is following God's system and helping, then we have what we need. It's not obligatory system, but it's one that helps us to fully surrender and depend upon Him. Secondly, we learn that God blesses us when we cheerfully give, not in a prosperity message. I don't don't want you to get that out of this at all, that if I give, God blesses me. There is that correlation, but it's not, not maybe in the sense that some preachers would preach. He's not going to bless you with a Mercedes or a new house or a boat. I mean, that might be some of those blessings depending upon how God chooses to bless you, but that's not the guarantee. The guarantee is, is that you will fully more depend upon Him. That's the true blessing that we get out of it, is that our life becomes more dependent upon the God that wants us to depend upon Him. He blesses his children when they're dependent upon him for everything. I mean, it, he says that in God's word. He says, look, I'm going to bless you. If you li- rely on me, you surrender to me, you're obeying me, I'm going to bless you. They could be material blessings, emotional blessings, relational blessings, spiritual blessings. I mean, blessing comes in many forms. And Jennifer and I were talking about this earlier this week, and, and this is not, look, we don't... We don't have a perfect marriage, or we don't have something that you can set on a shelf and say, "Oh, that's that's what everyone needs to shoot for." But we do have something very special. As we were just reviewing our own mess, our own marriage, when you know the, earlier this week, it was like, "Wow, we've got something really special." You know, it's just God's called us into ministry, and and you know we've we've seen some worst case scenarios over the years in those regards, and it's like. God's truly blessed us. And I, and I believe that in, in that is we have really tried to live dependently upon Him. I mean, we have. And, and finances is not something we've struggled to give up. And, and we try to depend upon Him. When things get rocky in the marriage, we lean into Him. And so, so in that, it's like we were like, you know, it's not just by accident that that happens. We count that as a blessing of God. And I don't say that to lift us up. But I'm thinking... I'm thinking if you really begin to examine your life and the things in it, you will find areas where God has blessed you in the times that you've been dependent upon him, and I would encourage you to do that. So there were two action steps out of that message from last week, and the first one was I asked you to prayerfully consider tithing. I asked you to just prayerfully do it. Now, I said I wouldn't ask you to make an investment in some company without examining it, without considering it, without talking to people, without you know, thinking about it and examining the pros and the cons. And I would say the same thing about tithing. If you're not someone that tithes or has ever tithed, I would, consider, I would ask you to consider that. I would ask you to talk to folks about it. I would ask you to pray about it. I would ask you to read in Scripture about it. I asked you if you have issues with it, come talk to me. And I would love to talk through that with you. And then secondly, and this is where I made the board really nervous, is I said, take our, our money back guarantee. If you want to try tithing, and after three months, you're like, that's hooey, and it doesn't work, and I don't believe in it, and I'm wasting my money, come see us, and we'll write you a check and give it all back to you. I mean it, because I believe God's in it so much that I can make that guarantee, and I I believe that's a pretty safe bet, because if you would come to me and say that, and we really, truly examine things, I, I, I don't know that you're at a place of full dependence. I don't know that you've really reached an understanding of what it means to fully depend on him for everything. So this week, we're continuing to look at giving, but it has nothing to do with money. Um, It's Because there is a power in giving. And last week, we talked about giving of our money. First week, we talked about the principle of how we're reaping what we sow. And this week, it's it's still in that vein of reaping what we sow, but it has more to do with an action of the heart toward God and toward other people. Um, Before we do that, I want to show a quick video. Um, this poor guy is struggling on, not that guy this guy his legs are giving out he can see the finish line but his legs just don't work out. he can't get up Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like that's where you're at in life right now? You know, like, like you can see, you can see where you're wanting to go. It's right there, but you just can't get it. Like you just can't make things work. Like financially things aren't working, relationally things aren't helping you get there. Like, like this poor guy had trained and trained, but his muscles in the legs just stopped working. And, and that's a real thing. Like, it's not that maybe he didn't train enough or didn't will it enough, but it just literally, like, physically did not work. And sometimes that's how we feel like in life. Like, we wish that we knew the secret to loving our life. Like, like I, I think we're all there. I mean, and as I talk to people that I work with or I talk to people that just kind of pastoral counseling or just friends, like, like we really are looking at, like, how do I love my life? Like, you see the, the stuff on Instagram and social media, like, you know, you see the, the hashtag, living my best life, you know. Are they really? Like, or is it just a staged photograph? I would say it's probably just a staged photograph, you know, because they got the, the pool and the drink and they're, you know, they're kicked back and it's like, living my best life. That's not what it looks like every day. You're just living a moment of your life. How do we truly, though, like, live our best life and, like, live in the secret? How do we find that secret of really, truly? Loving our life. Now we're going to look at a verse in First Thessalonians, and I believe as Paul was talking to the Thessalonican church and he is he is teaching them and he's exhorting them, and you can tell like this church is getting it right as he writes to them, like they're doing a lot of things that are right here, and he's encouraging them and exhorting them. It's not one of those letters where he's having to try to like correct a bunch of things that's going wrong, or he's like dealing with church politics or different stuff like that. Like he is just truly encouraging them to continue in the fight to continue loving Christ, to continue bringing people in. But he gets to the end, and he gives them some final advice. And that's what we're going to look at today. But let me, before we get there, let me preface it with this. Truly, the secret to loving your life starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we're going to look at some really cool stuff that you can do to help facilitate that, to help make that, you know, even richer. But without the relationship with Jesus Christ, these are just some self-help things. And, and I can tell you in my early 20s, like I tried the self-help thing. I, I, I read the like seven habits a, of a truly effective life and thought this is how I need to love my life and have a healthy, you know, a healthy life. And, and it's just, it's all in my own power. The real secret is a loving, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if we just confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, like we reconcile in our heart, That Christ is the only way to bring salvation to me. Christ is the only way to fix my sin problem. Christ is the only way to to break, you know, to get this broken relationship with God back in the right place. That's the true secret. Then what we're going to look at today is some things to help facilitate that. This is some final advice from Paul to this church that also applies to us. If you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. I I can say that, I promise. First Thessalonians, yeah. That book in the Bible. And let's read verses 16 through 18. Now, I'm reading it through the New Living Translation. Um, You can read it through whatever translation you want. I really like how this translation words this. Now, we're going to go back, and then the very first phrase, we're going to look at that from another translation. I don't mean to get all biblical theology, theology here, but... It is important for you to understand God's Word. And here's here's what I want to encourage you. If you're you're not a reader of the Bible, and you're like, well, you know, I really need to start reading the Bible, find a version or a translation that you can read. Like, just because your grandfather said you've got to read the King James Version, if you're reading it and you don't understand it, and you're struggling through it, there are, like, hundreds of other translations that you can read that will help you understand it. Okay, we're not reading the original autographs anyway. They're all translations So I would encourage you to find a translation that you can read and and God will speak through that. He'll work through all that stuff. So if you're one that you're upset because I'm not reading the King James Version, come talk to me about it. And I'm not going to bow to that preference, but you know, because I I believe that this is, we want to understand this. So verse 16 says, always be joyful. Say that with me. Always be joyful. 17 says, never stop praying. Say that one me. Never stop praying. And then say, Be thankful, in all circumstances. "Be thankful in all circumstances." And then it says, "For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ." So Paul is encouraging the church. He is in his letter; it's kind of like a last, like you know, point that he's trying to make. And he's like, "Hey, I want to give you some last advice." And and in those in those verses, I, I pulled this out, and it's so rich for us in our day and time. He says, look, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. And then I love the end of this because this is so very important. He says, because this is how those that call themselves followers of Christ behave. This is the attitude that they have. That, that last phrase there, he's saying, look, this is just common for us that call ourselves Christians. This is These are things that we should do. These are things that help us to love our life. When we're following these things, we get to a place, we get locked in in our life where no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstances, no matter the outside influences that's hitting us, no matter the struggles, the trials, the good times, the bad times, he said, this is a secret to loving your life. And that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's it. It's like, how do I love my life? Like, how do I get to a point where it's not every day is not just a struggle but I'm getting up every day and I'm excited. I might not love my job. I might've argued with my, life, my wife or my friends the night before. I'm, I might be kind of downridden. I might be going through some junk. I might be struggling, but there's still a sense that I can love my life. And remember, it, first and foremost, it ties back to that relationship with Jesus Christ because that's implied here. Paul is talking to those that have a relationship with Christ. So if that's not where you're at, I I can tell you, don't just take this and try to apply that to your life. Start with a relationship with Christ. Start with a growing relationship with Christ. That's just bowing your knee to him. And then following these things to help facilitate that. See, his desire for this church was that they would represent Christ well to the world around them. He wanted them to be more transformed into Christ's image so that the world would see Christ through the local church. He also wanted them to love their life because Paul knew that God had a plan and a purpose for each and every person. And here's what I found is true. It is really hard to live on purpose for a purpose when we're really frustrated with our life. Let me say that again. It's really hard to live on purpose for a purpose when we are really frustrated with our life. But when we can get to a place where we love our life, where we love what God is doing in our life and through our life, we begin to really see that we are created for a purpose and we're living on purpose. I mean, that's important to understand that, that you're not just a happenstance in the blip of time, but that God has you in this time frame, in this moment, in this context of time for a purpose. And he's living out, he wants you to live out his purpose in your life in that context. So it's not just you're an accountant and you work at this company and you have three kids and you go through the motions, or it's not just you're a, you're a single person just kind of going through them, bumping around, and, or I'm a teenager that's just kind of living through school and waiting for what's next. Like every single one of us in here is created in his image to live on purpose for a purpose. So the points are pretty self-explanatory through this. If you read the verses and you read them out loud with me, those are our points today. But they're also our action points. Like the last couple of weeks, we had points that we drew out. We had some truths that we drew out of the verse. And then we had action steps. They are one and the same today. And the first one is straight out of the passage is to choose joy. And that's not just a catchy phrase from a local you know, Christian radio station, but it is a principle that Paul is trying to teach us out of this verse. And what he was trying to teach that church is we need to choose joy. Another translation translates what Paul said to rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, that doesn't mean that you're walking around all day long like, woo-hoo, rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. That's not what that means. And, and some would translate it literally like that, but he's not saying that. And here's, here's another thing that we can bring out of this is there's no qualifiers around this advice either. There's no qualifiers. There's nothing that says, if this is happening, rejoice always. If this takes place, rejoice always. This isn't one of those if-then statements in the Bible. This is just rejoice always. Choose joy at all times, in all circumstances, no matter what's going on no matter what's happening, no matter what the world around you is saying, no matter who's sitting in a seat of government, no matter you know, whether it's rainy or sunny, no matter whether everyone's healthy or if everyone's sick. I mean, there, you, there are people in life, and you can probably recognize this. If, if you haven't, I, I wish you would get to know someone like this, but they choose joy no matter what. There's somebody in our church that's like that. And it's funny, right? Like you would think and you look on the outside and you think, man, they've been dealt a bad hand. Like, like just things, things are rough. Things are tough. I don't know how I'd handle that if I was the one sitting in that seat in that home. But then there's some people that's just like, no matter what, they choose joy. No matter what's happening, they choose joy. No matter how bad it seems, they're always looking at the silver lining. And, and there's a sense in that because they're choosing joy because they know they're grounded in Christ. They know that those circumstances don't necessarily drive their attitude or drive their happiness or drive their joy. They are choosing joy. Listen to what Nehemiah told the people when they finished up the walls in Jerusalem. So they had come back to Jerusalem and they were once again beginning to worship in their city. This is prior to what we read in Malachi. This is right when they came back. There was an excitement. There was a you know, a desire to follow God, there was some surrender happening, and Nehemiah tells him, he says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have, who have nothing prepared. Sounds like a potluck, right? This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's like, look, go celebrate. There's been great things that happen. He's like, but the joy that you're feeling isn't because we've done great things or because of the sweet drink or the good food or sharing of the the meal with people. He said, "The, the goodness that you feel in you and the joy and the happiness that you feel in you is from the Lord. He has made this take place in your life and in your heart because you are turning to Him. And then listen to the psalmist as he writes in Psalm 28, 7. He says, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. It, it, this inner joy isn't something that comes from some self-talk that we provide ourselves, like a pep talk that we get, you know, we get up in the morning, we're like, okay, you know, Stuart Smalley, I think of that guy off of Saturday Night Live years ago. You know, he'd get up, and he'd look in the mirror, and he'd be like, I'm special. I'm You know, all those types of things. It's not just some self-talk, but it's something deep within us that wells up. It's not just a motivational spirit you know, speech that we give ourselves, or some hippie incense that we burn and everything's good. It's, it's a supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's what brings that joy to us. See, we, we choose to tap into this joy that God has for us and he's not just going to impose it or force it upon us either. See, the Holy Spirit points us to Christ and reminds us of all his power, his promises, and his provision that is provided to us through Christ. And when we focus on those things and lean into them, instead of our surrounding circumstances or the things that we don't have or the the hopes that maybe weren't fulfilled, then there is a joy that wells up within us when we focus on all those promises, all the provision and all the power that Christ gives us. That's when we truly know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, here's kind of an action step in this regard of choosing joy. I think the best way to make, something to, st- to make something stick is to developing a habit. Choosing joy over and over again instead of choosing to focus on things we can't control will help us to develop a joy habit, a joy habit. Now, we have to, if you're developing a habit, it's something you've got to work on. You know, they say 21 days, doing something over and over and faithfully will help you to develop a habit, and that's true. It'll help you break a habit as well. And, and so this in this suggestion, we're breaking something and we're building something at the same time. Because I think within us and just kind of in the world that we live in, choosing joy isn't something that we naturally lean into, right? Like I can go to work and I can be pretty pumped up and I can be pretty excited about the week and thinking pretty positively. And it only takes one water cooler conversation to get me thinking negative, doesn't it? I mean, it takes that one person that's the grumbler or the complainer or that, you know, that points out something that you really don't need to know, but they saw it and they pointed out and then all of a sudden you're thinking negatively about something or someone and, and then before you know it, before lunch comes, then you're engaged in the conversation and you're already like, you've already set aside that joy that you wanted to have during the day and, and we lean into the things that we can't control and we lean into kind of feeling negatively about them. So here's two suggestions to help us to develop this joy habit. And they might sound silly, but here's the thing. When we want to develop something, when we want to see something take place, like change take place, it really requires doing some maybe what might look like silly things or radical things. I would suggest doing this simple thing. Writing, the joy of the Lord is my strength on your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's a card, maybe it's a Sharpie on the mirror, but writing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, where, is, where do you look every morning when you're getting ready? Into your bathroom mirror, right? What a great reminder to remind us that the joy of the Lord's my strength. Not what the person down the hall's doing at work or not the circumstances that the car wouldn't start when we got ready to go to work or that the, the toilet's backed up. or the, you know I mean, you begin to think about all the negative things in life and those tend to drive our lack of joy. But if we remind ourselves, the joy of the Lord is my strength today. And we see that as the last thing before we walk out the door. And then secondly, I would say practice joy by finding a way to serve others during the week. Nothing brings me more joy when I'm, outside of when I'm serving someone else. When, when I'm serving someone else, I find the most joy because that's how Christ has designed us. And then, two, the, the second thing of that is it gets my focus off of me because I tend to think pretty highly of myself and tend to, tend to get wrapped up in my own things and live in my own little world and in my own little head. And when I can get outside of that, I, I realize that there's a lot of joy in the world. There's a lot of joy to be seen. There's a lot of joy to have. So I would say find a way to serve others during the week. So write that on your mirror, write the joy of the Lord's my strength, and then find a way to just, even just simple ways to serve others during the week. So our second action item or truth is to never stop praying. You know, this one isn't so much literal as it is conceptual. I mean, there is a a literalness to it in praying, but here again, it's not like you're in a constant state of prayer all during the day. I mean, Jesus didn't live that way either, but here's, here's what did happen is there was a constant and consistent open line of communication with him and the Father. Think about it this way. For those of us that are a little older that had phones at home, like cordless phones or even the corded phone at home, if you can remember back when you had your high school girlfriend or your middle school girlfriend, how many hours would you sit on the phone with that person? Countless, right? Like, Like, I remember a time having a girlfriend when I would sit on the phone for so long that I would fall asleep while she was talking. And then wake up and be like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep. And this is the reason I hate talking on the phone now. but, But there was an open line of communication for hours into the evening where if you wanted to say something, you could because you knew the other person was on the other end of the line. And then there was the whole, you hang up, no, you hang up. No, I'm going to hang up. No, you hang up. You know, and then there was that, you know, the, you didn't want to break that line of communication because there was something there that was open that if I just needed to talk to you or tell you something, I knew you were there. I mean, it's that same idea with God. It's keeping that open line of communication with him all through the day at all times so that, so that it's not like you've got to tap back into it or call him again. Or It's just ma- maintaining an open heart to him and an open line of communication. There was a guy, there was a monk called Brother Lawrence and he was a he was a cook. He worked in the kitchen. He wasn't a big time like pope or somebody like that or he wasn't somebody that just, you know, was a religious leader. He literally worked in the kitchen. But the people of the time drew attention to him because he lived in such a connection of God as he worked in the kitchen that there was a constant line of communication. And he constantly practiced this talk, this talk with God, this open line even as he did his everyday work. And it was an amazing experience. So for those, that, you know, for those that look at this and you're thinking, but I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to God. It's just talking to him. It literally is just talking to him about the things you want, talking to him about the things you're scared of, talking about the things you're dreaming about, talking to him about the people that you care for. It's, it's amazing. Instead of thinking about it like you always need to be engaged in prayer, think about it like this. You're engaged. You are ready to engage at any time. At any time that someone asks you for prayer, you're able to just pray. You're able to stop right then and pray. If you ever are at work and you're stuck and you need help, you can just pray. If you have a relationship issue, instead of worrying about it and going to all the worst-case scenarios, you just stop and pray. If you need wisdom to make a decision, it's just the line of communication is there, and you just pray. If you're struggling or scared, you just pray. If you're feeling grateful, you just thank him and go to prayer. Something tragic comes up, or if you're feeling less down, or if you're even feeling overwhelmed, you just take a moment and tell him about it. Just like when you were on that phone with that girlfriend or boyfriend, and it's like, oh yeah, this happened today. Oh yeah, this this is what, you know, it's that open line of communication where anything that comes up, you're ready to talk to him about it. You get the point on that? Just like with a joy habit, I think the best thing is to develop a prayer habit. Now, here's something that's helped me. In the last few weeks, I I had a little moleskin notebook, just a little notebook. And I opened it up one day because I realized, man, there's so many people that have either asked for prayer that's in need or And so I just started writing down names. And what I do every day is I pull that out of my backpack and I open it up. And as my coffee's making, I go through that list and I pray for those people and for those needs. I mean, it's just simple prayer journal. And here's something that's really helped me out of this is it makes me realize that I have to depend on God for these answers to be answered. They're not things I can do. They're not programs that we can develop here at Lakeland Family Church, or they're not, you know, the right person isn't here to solve that problem. Is These problems in these people's lives can only be solved by God. And if I'm not going to Him in prayer, then I'm not effectively helping to solve it. And it's also helped me realize that I need to have a heart for the lost. Because there's some people on there that are lost. They just don't know God. And, and before that, to be honest with you, until I saw their name and I saw why I was praying for them, I didn't think much about them. And you're like, "Oh, pastor, well neither are you." Just to be blunt. But you write their name down and you're calling their name down, you're calling their name out every morning, and you're asking God to save them, that'll do something in your heart. That'll begin to develop a prayer habit. To be honest with you, I look forward to that now, more than the cup of coffee when I get up in the morning. And it didn't happen yesterday because Ryan drug me out of bed made me run 16 miles. And I can tell you by that afternoon, I felt like I was lacking in something because I didn't pull that notebook out and pray for those people. A prayer habit's beginning to become developed, and I would encourage you to find a way to develop that habit in your life. Lastly, Paul says to be grateful in everything. It's definitely easier to grumble than it is to be thankful. That doesn't make any sense. Even when I wrote that, I thought, no, it's, it's, it's easier to be thankful. It really isn't. It's easier to grumble. It's easier to complain. And it's all about our expectations. And, and, and most of the time, our expectations are unrealistically too high. So therefore, we walk around with unmet expectations. And that's a cause to grumble. So we think. When expectations, our internal expectations, either imposed upon other people or other things or other organizations, when they're not met, we feel that gives us the right to grumble about it. See, the people of Israel were not long out of Egypt. They were enslaved for hundreds of years. And they were enslaved in a sense that they had reached a point where it was pretty rough. And they were crying out to God. And God brings salvation through Moses, the whole story in Exodus. And he brings salvation through Moses. And God, through Moses, leads them out of Egypt, does amazing things by splitting the Red Sea. And they, you know, the Egyptians are crumbled or you know, washed up in the ocean, and they're on dry land, and they're taken care of. It wasn't long after that that they begin to grumble. And they begin to complain. And they even said, if we were only back in slavery... At least we'd have a roof over our head. At least we'd have something to eat. I mean, And they begin to grumble and complain. And as you read the story, they were judged pretty harshly by God, by God for that. They grumbled when they were in slavery and they grumbled when they were free. They grumbled when they had food and they grumbled when they didn't. They grumbled when they were, you know, had sand and they grumbled when they... I mean, they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. And what I like to find is a lot of times the old testament picture of them is a reflection of our hearts as well i mean just think back on your think back on your week and this is not to to be judgmental or anything like that but just think back on your week and think how many times did i grumble and how many times was i truly thankful how many times like was i just kind of like Bleh. and then how many times was i really like thankful and grateful What if we started a movement of gratitude instead of grumbling? How different would the world around us be? What if, what if one person just decided to make that change? Like decided to really kind of focus on what they were grateful for instead of what they were grumbling about? Like set real expectations for the people around them and for the organizations around them and for just life in general around them and live that out? If you think about one person, you think about how many people that would affect when they're on the road, when they're in their store, when they're at work, when they're around other people, when they're serving, when they're, I mean, in all these ways, in in, in the life of their family and friends. and Think about how many people that would affect. And then you think about a group of people. If a group of people said, hey, I'm going to live a life of gratitude instead of a life of grumbling. I'm going to set real expectations for for what the things are that are around me. And that's what Paul was trying to tell this church to do. Because he said, remember what he said. He said these, these three things, like rejoice always, pray always, be thankful in all circumstances. Oh, yeah, because that's what Christians do. We're Christians, right? I mean, I would hope so. If you're not, remember we went back to, it really all starts with a relationship with Christ, and I would, I would love for you to surrender your life to him today. And if, but if you already are, then this is the expectation for us. See, we need to work on a gratitude habit. So a joy habit, a prayer habit, and then lastly, a gratitude habit. Here's my suggestion for this. Anytime that I'm feeling extremely unthankful, here's what I start doing. I start at the simplistic, the very simplistic things in my life, and I start thanking God for them. For the roof over my head, for running water, for the AC, for the heat that we run a couple times a year, For my toilet that flushes. For the water that I can drink right out of the spigot if I want to. For my job. Even if I don't like it, they're still giving you a paycheck, right? For the people in my life. You see what's happening? It starts very simplistic, and then it begins to grow even more complicated, right? And before long, when I start doing that, like, I'm overwhelmed at the amount of things that God's blessed me with. This is one of the reasons that I try to at least every three to four years go on a mission trip. It it brings me back to reality of all the things that I should be thankful for. Because just recently, when we were in the DR, you have to brush your teeth with a bottle of water. If you've never been on a mission, if you've been on a mission trip, you're like, oh yeah, that's if you've never been on a mission trip, that's how you have to do it. You have to brush your teeth with a bottle of water because you can't put your, you can't put your toothbrush under the spigot, because that water's bad. You're gonna get sick. You can't, you can't, when you're taking a shower, like you have to keep your mouth closed and you have to dry your ears out real good because you'll get bacteria in you because the water's no good. Oh, you you can't flush your toilet paper because their plumbing is horrible. So imagine that, like how used to you are just putting the toilet paper in the garbage can that didn't make any sense to us, right? So when's the last time you thank God that you can flush toilet paper down the toilet? So, those things help me put into perspective the things that I should be thankful for. And so to develop a gratitude habit, I would encourage you, if you're feeling ungrateful and you're feeling crummy and you're feeling like none of your expectations are met, get in your car on the way to work tomorrow or, or re- <laughs> before you go into your office. Like, and just begin to thank God for just those silly little simplistic things. And before you know it, like your list is going to start growing and growing and you're going to be thankful for things that you just hadn't even thought about and And then you're going to be thankful for everything around you. and just It's going to change your whole perspective on how you look at the world around you, the things around you, and your gratitude toward them. You know, I know it sounds too good to be true and too easy, but this formula from Paul, it's a secret to love in our life once we've given our heart to Jesus. As we learn to give, we truly begin to see the power in that exercise. And this is giving in the sense of we're giving our joy, we're giving our prayers, and we're giving our gratitude toward God. And then ultimately it begins to explode out into the world around us. Let's read the passage again as we we close down. Verse 16 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And be thankful in all circumstances, because that is what God expects of us. God knows these are simple, but he also knows how effective these methods are to get the focus off of me and unto him, and unto others, love God, love others. There's a reason that these two are the greatest commandments, because when we do this, we find the secret that life of life that God has designed for us. When we love God, when we love others, there's a secret in that that points us toward Him, and it drives us to want to serve the world around us. Let me pray for us, Father. Thank you. Thank you for this nudge of encouragement that you're giving us today to get outside of ourselves, to realize that that we're not that big of a deal. God, help us us in these areas because if we really truly get honest, like I, I don't know that we're doing real well in these areas, so help us to do better here because if this is something that you expect of us, God, we want to fulfill what you want us to do. And, and there's such a power as we read this and as we see you know, why you want us to do this. There's such a power in giving of these things to you because it literally changes the atmosphere. And God, we want to see this neighborhood. We want to see our friends and our family come to know you as, as Lord and Savior. And so, God, if, if we can do these simple things to help point people to you, then help us to do them well. Help us to represent you well. Help us to, to represent all that you are and the salvation that you bring to the world around us. God, I I pray for the folks in here today that they haven't started at at ground zero of just giving you their life. And God, I pray that you would just help those hearts to turn toward you today. God, I, I pray that there's somebody in this room today that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be that day. And that they could begin to see how dramatically different their life is with you. We love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.